You know, my uh, deep prayer is that you will know that what you have just sung is true. And I think it's, uh, it's in the heart of God that you know that what you have just sung is true. Um, you know, I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, so many people live with fear kind of at the core of their being. Did you know that? Sometimes people live with a fear at the core of their being and they don't know it. But it's there. And it's a powerful motivator in life. Come to terms with the fact that when we've come to know Christ and, and that, that faith in, in him has seeped into the core of our being and we know we're a child of God, we don't have to be afraid anymore. It's remarkable. And it's life-changing. And I just, uh, you know, feel we could all go home now. Should we take a vote? Should we go home now? Anybody? Kind of lighten my, my load today. You know. Let me pray. Laura, we come to you now as we often do, uh, Sunday by Sunday, just saying, God, speak. For we would hear your voice again. And Lord, for those who have come into this place of being in relationship with you uh, through Christ, for those of us who have found this, what Jesus described as a hidden treasure buried in a field, and we're willing to give up all for it. Uh, you know, we just come here on a Sunday morning to be with our God, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are yours, ready and receptive to hear again from our Father who's willing to speak his words of life and of truth and of joy and of goodness and of healing into our lives. So God, come now by your spirit and speak again and allow those words to be transformative uh, in the core of our being. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to um, start a series today uh, that will probably run into the new year because of uh, recent events in my life. I've kind of uh, changed schedule a little bit here. But I want to talk to you about something that I think is incredibly important, and, and we've just touched on it. Sometimes you sing songs and you get the answers before the question comes. This sermon is primarily about a question. It's different. Um, as I introduce this series, I want to talk to you for some weeks about identity, about who we are went to the Oxford Dictionary um, uh, this week, and Oxford Dictionary defines identity as this, who or what somebody or something is. And that might seem a little bland as you start, who or what somebody is, and then we're talking more about somebody than something. But you know, the key word in that definition is the last one, is. Who are we? <laughs> this speaks, to, if you would, to, 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 to the reality of our essence in being. Um, kind of the core person uh, that we understand to be, ourselves to be. Now, I went to a concordance, and for those of you who don't know, it was very simply a concordance as a book, or now a computer program that, that d describes every word in the Bible and tells you where to find it. And I uh, looked in an NIV concordance for the word identity. Guess how many times it's there? Can somebody, you know, just take a shot in the dark. How many times do you think the word identity is in the NIV concordance? 62 way too high. Marcus, uh, Brian, the seminary student's kind of shaking his head. Yeah, I don't know that it's there. There's a guy who read three, the Bible three times in the first year after being converted, and he knows the Bible. That's very cool. It's not there. The word identity does not come into the New International Version at any place, but I want to tell you the, the idea or the concept of identity 
covers the Bible from uh, page to page to page to page. Um, and I want to unpack this for us because I want to tell you, you can believe me or not, I hope as we dig into Scripture and over some weeks, you'll start to really grasp the significance of this biblical reality. But this is something that can change our lives when we come to terms with who we are in Jesus, what our identity is in Christ. One of the ways the Bible sort of tackles this without using the word is, is in the naming or, or the renaming of people, which is quite common in Scripture. Um, uh, we had Jay Calder here a few weeks ago, a musician with Compassion Canada, and he sang and he preached for us. And, and he talked about a man named Barnabas who prior to being given the name Barnabas was named Joseph. Remember that? Um, but he was given the name Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. And Jay spoke of, and was part of his theme that morning, seeing things from heaven's perspective. Perspective. And from the perspective of, of heaven, this is who Joseph was as he was renamed Barnabas. He was someone who was created by God and gifted by God to be an encourager of people. Somebody through whom the Spirit of God could move and act according to this gifting to enable him to bring courage and hope into the lives of others. It's who he was in God, Barnabas. Another person who was renamed was Saul. And we spent some weeks looking at Saul uh, earlier this year. But when Saul became a follower of Jesus, he was renamed Paul. Now, Saul, as you might remember, and if you know his story, was a powerful, threatening, and a dangerous man. Um, he, was, he was somebody that Christians wanted to stay away from because he was a persecutor of Christians. But when he became a follower of Jesus, uh, do you, you know, he, he was given the name Paul. Do you know what Paul literally means? Little. Little. You know, here this, 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 uh, this threatening, powerful, dangerous man in Christ was humbled. Remember, he was struck to the ground and he was blinded? And he had to be led by the hand into Damascus instead of arriving as a, as a fearsome persecutor of the church? He went from being this, 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 this proud and overbearing and powerful man to someone who was small, someone who described himself as weak and somebody who celebrated his weakness. And somebody through whom Christ moved powerfully in his littleness because of who he had become in Jesus. It's who he was from heaven's perspective. Cephas became known as, as the Apostle Peter. You know, the bombastic disciple of Jesus who was named Cephas, he was the know-it-all who spoke his mind usually without thinking very much. You know people like that? <laughs> but Peter was the prime example of this. He was overly confident. He was proud. I will never deny you, Jesus, he said to Christ's face. But of course, he did. Um, Jesus said to him one day, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Some people think that what Jesus was saying was that Peter was the rock. He was the foundation of the church that Christ would build. But clearly Jesus says something very different than that. He's saying to Peter, I am the rock and I will build the church on myself, not on you. Peter literally means not rock, but stone, little stone. Except Jesus saying, I'm the rock. And I'll build a church on me, not on you, Peter. You'll be part of it, but it's me. I'm the significant one. Remember it. And of course, there's Jesus. Uh, I've been reading the, the, the Christmas story recently in preparation for, for what's to come in December, and both Joseph and Mary were told to name this miraculous, miraculously conceived child uh, uh, Jesus. 
um, by the angels who visited both of them. Jesus in Hebrew is uh, um, Joshua. It means literally the, the Lord's salvation because that's who Jesus was. It's why he came. It's what his identity was from heaven's view. And you see, the point here is that people in, in, in these naming or renaming exercises are being given identity. They're being told who they are. From heaven's perspective, it's being revealed to them in order to impact their lives, to take hold in their lives, to, to penetrate their hearts and, and to cause them to live according to that identity that God has given to them. Um, here's my question for you today and over the next weeks. Who are you? Who are you? Um, what is your true identity in Christ? What is your identity from heaven's perspective? From God's? See, the reality is that we often do not know that very thing. And uh, we embrace and we live out what some have called a false identity, an understanding of self that is given to us as a lie given to us very often by the devil himself, which causes us to be deceived, number one, and to experience destructive practices in our lives and to never become everything that Christ calls us to be because we don't know who we are. Um, and there are a lot of these identities that we play with and that we take on. You know, teenagers, if you would, try on different identities in, in, in those formative years. Some of you teenagers here may be in the midst of that right now. Um, and they look at themselves and they might see kind of where they fit and what they're doing and they think, well, that's who I am. Think of the, think of the guy who's really athletic. They're called what at a high school? A jock. And somebody might say, well, that's who I am because I'm good at this. Is that really who that person is? I'd say to you it's a false identity. You know, there are people who consider themselves rebels. And it doesn't matter who they're responding to, what authority has told them to do uh, what, you know, whether that thing be an incredibly good thing that they would actually bless them in their lives or be a bad thing that they should avoid that would actually hurt them. It doesn't matter to the rebel if this is indeed how they think of themselves. They're going to reject authority and they're going to push back against it because in their minds they are the rebel. I bet you a lot of us have been there. Some of us may still be there. Is that, is that, who, we, is that who we really are when we think we're rebels? You know, there's the, uh, there's the, the goth person, you know, the people who dress in black and they think in a dark way and their mood is dark. People take on a persona which is reflected in their dress and they think that's who I am. Like from God's perspective, is that who that kid is? Hopefully it doesn't last forever, but for a season. I'll tell you, it's a false identity. It's not from God's perspective and in God's heart who that young person is. I could go on with these things. You know, the very smart person who is skilled academically, the brainiac, you know, causes them to study and to work hard because this is, this is who I am and I, I got to prove myself and I've got to... Is that who they are? No. At a core, deep level? Mm -mm. It's false. You know, in our culture, you know, there's a term uh, that has become very popular and it's sexual identity. So our, 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 our sexuality supposedly defines us. So if you're a man and you're gay, your sexual identity, your identity, your told is that you're gay and conversely what we're told is if we're heterosexual and 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 we're male like we're then we're a straight man for example now in either instances either instance is that who we are from the perspective of the living god no see there are these identities that we are either given or that we are that we take to ourselves or we allow to define ourselves that are not 
what God spoke and speaks into our lives if we're willing to listen? Sometimes we're told as young children, little kids who we are, you know, we receive and embrace messages that come our way and like a sponge that soaks up water, we don't have the critical faculty to, to resist or to dialogue with or, or engage ideas. We just believe what we are sometimes told. And we take these identities to ourselves. Sometimes kids have been told that they were a mistake, meaning that they were conceived unintentionally. No harm intended by parents who spoke that word. But sometimes that thought, for example, can go, go deep into the heart of a child and it informs them about who they are and they embrace that, that sense of what they have been told and they think for the, of themselves for the rest of their lives as a mistake. You think God creates somebody and thinks of them as, as a mistake? No. You know, oh, you'll never amount to much. <laughs> you'll never accomplish anything in life. Boy, what powerful and destructive words that the enemy speaks into the mind of a child. Parents of young children, don't get paranoid, but be careful. <laughs> Speak the truth of God into your child's heart. And I want to tell you people who, who think they'll never amount to anything, you know what? Off, very often they don't because they don't think they can. Sometimes it's not words that are spoken to us, but actions when a young child is not loved, is not valued. The message of identity is that, I, uh, is that, uh, is that of unlovable and, un, uh, and, and one who is unworthy of love. Mm, and that hit home in anyone's life? So much so that people live out that belief maybe for the rest of their lives unless God intervenes with his truth. You know, not treating themselves well because they're not worthy of love, even self-love. Seeking value in incredibly unhealthy ways, trying to prove that they're significant when they already are. The point here is this, my friends. Um, we, we believe, what we believe about who we are has a huge bearing on how we live our lives. I'm telling you right now, whoever you believe yourself to be, even in the deep recesses of your mind and of your heart, you might not be overly aware of it. This requires a work of God to unpack for us. But whoever you believe yourself to be is having a huge bearing on your life right now, for good or ill. And when we believe the lies of the devil, when we believe the, the, the things that are spoken into our lives, lives that are not true, it will bring harm to us. It just will. And what we need to discover is our true identity in Christ. We need, we need desperately need, to hear God speak through his word. His word has to come to us. His voice by his spirit through the book of, through the scripture has got to come and it has to speak in a powerful way and it has to strip away false identities which we have embraced and we have to hear from the God of heaven, heaven's perspective regarding who we are. And that's my challenge to you over these weeks. I want to start today. It's, it's, this is introductory as I said and I'm going to leave you with a question more than an answer today. Um, but I want to start today uh, speaking to you from Luke chapter 3, the day that God the Father told Jesus the Son, God the Son, who he was. Um, Christ was 30 years of age, roughly. He was about to uh, spend three short years in ministry, you know, this preacher healer. And he was going to travel around uh, Judea and, and so forth with, with, with his people. He would identify 12, identify 12 of those people as his primary followers who would become the leaders of the church when he was gone. 
Uh, but prior to this beginning of ministry, there's, there's, there's preparation. And one of the things that happened to prepare Jesus for his um, incredible ministry that has impacted the world ever since was his baptism. And I want to read to you just a few verses from Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. And I want you to hear what God the Father told God the Son about his identity. All right? Let's read that now. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and listened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Wow. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God the Father told his son, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Um, do you think that impacted Jesus? Do you think that made an impact in his life? The New Living Translation puts it this way, You are my dearly loved son. Precious is the idea. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd love to have heard that. You know, like for heaven to open up and God just say, Chris, <laughs> you are my dearly loved kid, and I, I find great joy in you. I want to tell you, I think the day God the Father spoke that into Jesus' heart, it took root. And I want to, I, I just can't believe anything other than the fact that that became a, a foundational belief for the rest of his life. Not long, but for the years which were to come. Do you ever wonder when Jesus is, is in the, uh, what's, what, the, the conflicts that he has with Pharisees and Sadducees and priests, and, and there are people who slammed them and called them the, the son of the devil, and, you know, called them, you know, like terrible things were said to Jesus by some, didn't seem to bother him. Why? I think because he knew who he was. He knew his identity because it had been spoken to him from his father in heaven and he was secure in it and it gave him peace and it gave him joy and it gave him significance and it gave him, I would suggest to you, spiritual power to do what he was called to do. I want to say to you that this changed Jesus' life. It changed how he behaved, and, it, de and it, it determined, if you would, the course of his life. And I'm going to show you how, just briefly. Um, but in, in essence, this became the driving force of his life. I'm sure other things were there, too, that allowed him to do what God had invited him to do, asked him to do. I want to pop over to Luke chapter 4. This is the passage in which it says that the Holy Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is a bit of a climactic moment. <laughs> the ministry hadn't happened, but it's about to be derailed possibly. Because if the devil can succeed in what he's about to do, which is to tempt Jesus to sin, then the whole plan would be ruined because Jesus couldn't go to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. He would have had to go to the cross to pay for his own. Only the sinless Son of God could bear the sin of the world. Do you understand that? So the devil says, I'm going to get in early. I'm going to do what I'm best at, which is to lie and deceive, and I'm going to try to throw Jesus off his game. Listen to this. Listen to this temptation, the first one that the devil brings to him. Luke chapter 4, verse 3. And remember, this is all about identity. Jesus being the dearly loved child of God, the one who brings him great joy. Verse 3, chapter 4, the, the devil says, the devil said to him, 
Now look at it. If you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. You know, a lot of us read these passages. Jesus had just fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. His body would have been craving food. He would have desperately needed food. And we think that the temptation was to eat bread. I think what the devil does is deeper and more profound and way more sneaky. He goes along to him and he tempts Jesus to question his identity that has been spoken into his life by his father. If you are the son of God, this bread. Um, powerful stuff. Second temptation comes along, verses 5 to 8. The same words aren't used, but it's the same message. Let me read them to you. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' reply is profound and it is penetrating. And it's essentially this, the Son of God doesn't worship anyone and certainly not you. Good answer, huh? Good answer. Verses 9 and 10, the third temptation, similar to the first. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And here it is again, if you are the Son of God, he said, uh, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. <laughs> Man, you see what the devil is doing? He's trying to get Jesus to question who he is, his identity. And if, if successful, the, the results would have been uh, you know, disastrous for God and God's purposes. But then comes verse 12. Jesus responds after a a little more quoting of scripture by the devil, which is interesting in itself. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he claims his identity. Don't test me like this. So says the word of God. For I am the Lord your God. Cool, huh? Cool. See, my friends... What enabled Jesus to resist temptation and to stay strong in his faith, if you would, and stand against evil and sin and temptation and resist it? <laughs> what enabled him to do that was his knowledge of who he was in God. Okay, time for one of those uh, silly moments where I ask you a rhetorical question that uh, we all know the answer to. How many people here struggle with sin and temptation? <laughs> we all do in various ways at various times. Just one little application as we kick this thing off. You want, to, you want to learn to stand strong against the enemy when he comes to tempt you and against that sin which seems too powerful for you to resist. Come to know who you are in Christ and then learn to live out the reality of who you are. It'll change your life. It'll cause you to live as you long to live for him. Second thing I, I want to point to you uh, describes how this determined Jesus' identity and we're going to have to jump away from from Luke to do this, but I want to take you to John 13. John 13 is the passage which, um, in which Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Um, it's the passage where um, also which begins the last, if you would, uh, few days of Jesus' life. The cross is close, very close, days away, and he knows it. And um, he knows what's ahead of him and what God the Father has called him to do and his place in the and the purposes of God for the world. Let me read to you chapter uh, 13, verse 1. 
It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew, listen to this, Jesus knew that the time for him, the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. What is the full extent of his love? He immediately goes ahead and washes the disciples' feet. Is that the full extent of the love of Jesus? No. This is talking about the cross. That's how much he loves us, right? Um, then this, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Jesus Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, uh, note how the enemies at work. <laughs> Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew it. And that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist, waist and he entered into the final days of his life which would end in death prior to resurrection. Now, key word there is so. <laughs> Jesus knowing that God the Father had put all things under his power and he could snap his fingers and he, you know, could avoid this thing called crucifixion. And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew who he was. And as a result of that knowledge, he then entered into the service first of his disciples and the washing of their feet to show them how to live with one another and, and, and live in this world. And then he went to the cross to accomplish the purposes of God. You see, Jesus' destiny was determined. It, it played out the way God intended it to play out and the way he longed for it to play out because he knew who he was in his Father. And you know, my friends, I, uh, I don't know your destiny. I don't know your calling. I don't know your purpose uh, in life, the purpose for which God has created you. But uh, if you want to know what it is and play it out, come to that place where you know who you are in Christ. Allow that truth to sink into the core of your being and transform you. It will change your life. And thus we're embracing a series on something that the, the Bible never, by actual word, identity speaks you know, it's likely that there are a lot of people here who are living according to a false identity. Whether it's when you were a child, someone spoke it into your life, or whether it was the way you were treated, or whether when you grew up you took on an identity that you thought was appropriate to who you are, and you've just continued to live in that reality as a result. Um, but I want to tell you, until you come to terms with what God says about you and allow God to speak his truth into your life about who you are from heaven's perspective, You'd be living out a false identity. And God doesn't want that for you. And he doesn't want it for me. Um, and what God calls us to, I would suggest, is to the rejection of the lies of the enemy. And he says, listen to me and let me tell you through my word what is actually true about you. Um... So this is an introduction to a series, and you know what I want to do today for those of you who are really serious about your relationship with God? This series, by the way, is about relationship with God ultimately. But I want to give you homework. All the high school students are thrilled with more homework, right? Like, oh, no, please, university students. But I do. And if you're willing to do this, I trust and I believe God will do something very cool in your lives, very significant in your lives, and here's what the homework is. I want you to go home, and every day this week, I want you to get in a quiet place with God, and I want you to pray, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you who you think you are. Um, and I want you to write it down. I want you to journal it, essentially. 
And I think in many, many instances, what you will be writing will be the lie of the devil. I do. Because we're all human and fallen, and we all need to take steps significantly forward in terms of understanding the truth of God. And it's not very often we're challenged to deal with this one. So I don't know what uh, your self-identity is. I mean, there are so many of these. You think you're the you know, successful, rich business person because you've succeeded in business? That's who you are? Nonsense. <laughs> I know a lot of people who think they're not very intelligent. In other words, they think they're stupid, and they walk around life, and they, they believe that. Therefore, as a result, that's how they live. You think that's who you are? Nonsense. You know, we grow out of those teen years when we try on identities and we become a husband or a wife. Is that, who, is that what your identity is? And then we become parents. And that just, that really changes things. And then we think, well, that's who I am? Is that what God says to you first and foremost is your identity in Christ? No, it's not. Grandparent? That's a cool role, I'm told. <laughs> I was reminded of it again today. I'm a retiree. Is that who you are? No, I I is it a job? I mean, I'm a pastor. Does that define my identity in, in Christ? No. You're a teacher, you're a farmer, you're a salesperson, you're whatever. No, false. It's, if you have taken these identities, embraced them, and allowed them to define who you are, you have yet to discover the power of the truth of God when it enters into your being so as to transform your life. So I end with a question and a homework assignment. And I dangle the carrot before you to come back and hear who God says you are. Um, but I am going to tell you, in a nutshell, the answer to the question. You know who you are? You are the son and daughter of, or daughter of God. And in you, he is well pleased. And we should all be applauding right now. Not like we really should. Jumping up and down, thrilled with the truth of God that was just spoken into your soul. You were the, if, if indeed you're in Christ, you were the son or the daughter of the living God. And in you, in you, he is well pleased. Let me pray. Lord, your truth transforms. Your truth strips away, the strips away the lies over the course of our lives. And, and it gives us this life-giving, joy-producing peace uh, and significance and, and, and security-providing truth about who we are. And Father, I pray these people here today that they will go home and they'll do their homework. And they'll not do it not as, not as a burden, but as a joy. They'll do it as a huge opportunity to be in a quiet place with you, to hear the Spirit of God speak in a profound way, even as they maybe reflect upon these scriptures that we've talked about. And I pray, Father God, that you will tell them the truth about who they are. And over these weeks, Lord, uh, unpack this for us so that we can get it right so that we can encounter life in its abundance and in its fullness. Um, resisting and rejecting the work and the lies of the devil, embracing the truth of God. God bless us as your children in these days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.